came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. Uh, we have Joe Manchin. Common sense in America. Can the Democrats or Republicans ever get together? Andrew Tangle. What's going on with Boeing? David Malpast, president of the World Bank. What is the world economy like? Dr. Peter Mihalos. And let's start off with Mike Pompeo. What's going on in the world? What is today is Secretary Mike Pompeo. He was the CIA director, Secretary of State, Mr. Secretary, so many countries have entered the fray. How many countries have to get involved before we call it a world war? (laughs) Oh, John, it's good to be with you this morning. You know, it it is fair to say that a significant piece of the world is at risk today in ways that it wasn't just, just three or four years ago. We know about the war in Europe. We know what happened on October 7th in Israel and the Middle East. We, can, we now see the Iranians firing into Syria, into Iraq, and into Pakistan. The Pakistanis firing back into Iran. This is, this is a level of uncertainty and risk and chaos that, frankly, only happens when America fails to do the simple thing of making a clear red line and then defending it. It's not about sending the 82nd Airborne and our own young men and women. It's about the United States demonstrating its resolve to protect things that really matter to Americans. And I, I watch that. You add what uh, the Chinese Communist Party is talking about uh, in the Taiwan Strait and then even further south in the Philippines. It is as uncertain a time, and our deterrence, American deterrence, has decayed at a rate that I, I, I don't know that we have seen in an awfully long time in America. A lot of countries don't respect America the way they used to respect it. I mean, uh, I, I know that uh, Spain and, and Italy and France, uh, when it was coming to defending the Red Sea, they said to America, you're on your own. And, and the good news is Great Britain joined in with us. But I've never seen so much dislike. Saudi Arabia doesn't get along with, with, with the president. Uh, is there any common sense to be had? Allies and partners will go a long ways to help keep America secure. But in return for that, they need to have an understanding that the United States will do the basic things that it says it will do. So whether it was the calamity of the 13 Americans that were killed in Afghanistan or President Biden's remark that said a a minor incursion into Europe might be okay, or the Chinese spy balloon, when, when, when these kind of things happen to the United States and we don't respond in a way that is sufficiently forceful, to vindicate American interests and your friends in Europe, your friends in the Middle East, your partners and allies in Southeast Asia, they're, they're going to hedge their bets. They're going to begin to do things that are deeply inconsistent with what matters to every single American. I, I can't tell you how central maintaining deterrence is if you lose that. If the central concept of America's willingness to defend things that matter to Americans is in doubt in the world, 
the bad guys are going to push and push and test until we take a response which demonstrates that we're going to defend them. And the Biden administration has just chosen not to do that uh, in the Middle East. They've chosen not to do that in South Asia. And that makes the risk enormous. You add in a wide open southern border, and we have literally got the potential for conflicts all across the world, including risk of something bad happening here inside the United States. Talking about the southern border, I thought it made common sense when uh, Speaker Johnson said, let's sit down and, and we'll give you all the money you want for uh, is- Israel and for the Ukraine, but let's protect our borders before we worry about the Ukraine's borders. Why isn't there any common sense in, uh, among the U.S. senators who are supposed to be the common sense Americans? It is remarkable that somehow the Biden administration and Democrats on Capitol Hill want to make the argument that it is somehow normal to have tens of thousands of illegal immigrants traversing your border each and every day. That's not normal. It is not thick. There's no other country in the world that would permit this to happen. They come here for a good reason. They want a better life. But we have a responsibility to the American people, to the American citizens, to, to get this right. And so whatever amount of money it might take to do that, we certainly should ensure that there are resources. My fear, John, with the current president, it doesn't matter how much money is allocated. He's going to use that money to help these folks get across. He'll provide them housing, provide them free medical care once they're here. He is not going to use it for its intended purpose, which is to stop the flow of illegal immigrants across our southern border. The border is our biggest problem. I mean, fentanyl is still coming through, killing tens of thousands of Americans. And I understand now there's concern that a lot of uh, terrorists are coming through the border unstopped. You, you were CIA awesome. director. How long yeah. does it? I mean, yeah. when Christopher Ray stands up in Washington <laughs> yeah. and says we're in trouble, shouldn't everybody realize it? Absolutely. When he says, I think his exact words were, I've never seen this many red lights blinking. That is, that should be a wake-up call for his boss, right? He works for President Biden. Uh, two, two thoughts on this. One is, sometimes we hear, well, you can't stop this on our southern border. That is verifiably false. We, we did for four years. We had slowed illegal immigration to a trickle. We did it with some simple policies. We began to build the wall. We put barriers in place. And then we created an idea that says, no, you can't stay here while you're filing an asylum claim. Those three things caused the border flow to decrease dramatically. And the Biden administration undid each and every one of those. Second, this is your first point, which is we now know that there have been 100-plus individuals on the U.S. terror watch list that have been caught trying to cross the border. How many weren't caught? We have no idea. And second, where are they now? And for whom are they working? You know, we haven't had anything yet that we haven't been able to stop. But the scale of what's taking place, surely, whether it's the Chinese Communist Party or the Iranians or some offshoot from Hamas or Hezbollah, surely they will figure out that they can traffic someone in alongside the illegal drugs and the sex trafficking and the weapons, all of those things. And they'll put someone here, and someday there'll be this really bad day. And we'll all look at each other as if, oh, my goodness, how did that happen? When, in fact, today we know the answer. It happened because President Biden simply refused to do the blocking and tackling of government and protecting American sovereignty. Also, China has threatened on behalf of the Houthis. Why? Because they're aligned with Iran. Saudi Arabia re-energized ISIS to attack Iran 
because I don't think the Israel was allowed to attack Iran because I guess they didn't feel that they had Washington's backing. I mean, am I wrong? Well, I wasn't tracking that, that issue with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but make no mistake about it. China, Russia, and Iran are part of a cluster or gathering, an axis, call it what you will, that is determined to destroy the United States and our way of life here in the United States of America. Some of it will be economic. Some of it will be military and terrorist. Some of it will simply be winning friends and influencing people. Uh, but Xi Jinping in China has said that they, he will be best friends for life with Vladimir Putin. They've all got arrangements for weapon systems moving to and fro. The Iranians provide weapons to the Russians that are killing kids in Europe. These three are working together. And so it's unsurprising that the Chinese Communist Party would try to sidle up to the Houthis because, A, they are aligned with Iran, and second, that will free Chinese vessels, Chinese energy, which they so desperately need to move out of the Middle East to their country. They're wholly dependent on it, dependent on this transit route. They want to convince the Houthis, no, you go after the Americans, not after us. Taiwan had an election. You know, some people say, well, there's going to be a war. China is upset. Then President Biden gets up and says, you know, it's a one, it's one China. What is really happening in Taiwan? How does China really feel? I believe that people who live in Taiwan understand that they are not part of mainland China. They want no part of the Chinese Communist Party. They just want to be left alone to live their lives, to take care of their families, to build their businesses, to do the things that they want to do. I think that's what this election shows. Even the supposedly pro-unification party makes pretty clear they don't want to be part and parcel of the political operation of Xi Jinping and his Chinese Communist henchmen. And I think the election showed that. What the Chinese Communist Party's reaction to this election will be, my sense is this isn't about some moment on the election. She is determined. He has said he wants to bring Taiwan under his political control. He says it's inevitable. He says it's natural. It is neither inevitable nor natural. And the United States can do a great deal to help the Taiwanese push back against this. And when President Biden says, well, we're going to adhere to the so-called one China policy, he is playing into the hands of Xi Jinping, who has said there is only one China this history for 50 years now where we let the Chinese into the World Trade Organization and we've allowed them to steal our stuff uh, has to stop. And we should make clear that we understand that Taiwan is a separate entity. It is free. It is independent. And the Chinese Communist Party should be told unambiguously, you can't come after the Philippines. You can't come after Japan. These are friends and allies. They are partners of the United States. And we're going to provide the tools that those countries need to defend themselves. Mr. Secretary, uh, we're almost out of time. What would you like to tell the American people? Uh, we're going to have an election here. We talked about the one in Taiwan. We're going to have an election here in the United States. I hope everybody will stay involved and stay engaged uh, in that process. It is incredibly important. Now, a lot of focus on the president, presidential elections. That makes sense. But there's going to be school board elections. There's going to be elections for governors and senators and congressmen and, and county supervisors and district attorneys all across this country. Make sure good people run. Make sure you help them. Uh, we, we've got to get this country back to a place that understands its Judeo-Christian heritage, that understands that teaching our kids math and science and reading actually matters. And elections have consequences. And so I hope folks will spend some part of their life in these next uh, now 10 months between here and the election thinking about not just who they're going to vote for for president, but how we're going to make sure that our local governing authorities are responsive to the people as well.
Mike Pompeo, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your common sense. Thank you for helping America in the past and continue to help America in the future. And uh, let's catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. Bless you. Have a good day, sir. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is Senator Joe Manchin from uh, the great state of West Virginia. And uh, I would call him a common sense Democrat looking for both Republicans and Democrats to have more common sense to be able to run our country the right way. Senator, uh, welcome to Sunday morning. How are you this morning? Good, John. It's always good to be with you. I'm glad you invite me to come on because you're trying to get the facts out, the truth out, and how we bring our country together and save it. There's so much controversy of what's going on. There's so much, uh, uh, so many countries involved in conflicts right now. Uh, uh, Pakistan, China, Iran. I don't know where to begin and where it ends. Uh, Where do you see the big picture? Uh, Is there... Is there more? You've been, you were sitting in the Senate uh, when they voted to, to, to pass the bill the other day on, on Thursday. Uh, do you see more common sense happening? Well, I can only speak for the Senate, John. We have more people that want to work together than not, even though that's not what you hear outside of Washington. And it's not what the pundits want you to hear, John, because the business model works better if we're all fighting and we're supposed to hate each other. There's not a Republican I know that I don't like. It's not my friend. And I want to work with him. I might disagree. And the same thing with Democrats. There's a lot of Democrats, you know, that I don't agree and they don't agree with me. And they think that maybe I'm too centrist and too moderate and too conservative or whatever. But I said, guys, the majority of this country works from the middle. So 50 to 60 percent of the people are considered either independent, center left, you know, fairly, uh, fairly conservative Democrats and fairly conservative Republicans, center right. But the extremes from the extreme left and extreme right seem to be taking all the oxygen out of the room. And everybody thinks we're divided. It's Washington that's divided. And the business model in Washington, they do better, John, when you're mad at each other. They don't do better when we're working together. So that's kind of working against us. And thank God for all the people that are listening to you and us this morning thinking about uh, there's a lot of things I agree with. There's a lot of things I think that have been done that's been good. And there's a lot of challenges we have. And right now, you cannot take your eye off of Ukraine. Ukraine is fighting the fight of all fights for what we have fought and shed blood for and lost lives for freedom and the democracy that we enjoy. That's what they want. And they're holding back one of the most prolific armies and military mites in Russia. Do you know how much that has harmed Russia and their appearance in the world order? If they would have been able to steamroll over Ukraine and move into the Baltics and move into and showing China that they were the worthy opponent you want to be with, we're tough, we're good, we're smart, we're strong, we're successful. They put 390,000 people out there and lost about all of that army on the first get-go. So what the investment we're making in Ukraine has to continue for them to fight that fight until we get some kind of resolve. We can't take our eye off of that. And now with the Middle East about ready to blow, we've got to be very careful. But, John, I will say this. The only thing they understand in that part of the world, uh, who's got the biggest stick? But you uh, have absolutely to have good correct, Senator. 
Absolutely yeah. correct. I mean, I can't believe, Senator, how in the last three months, all of a sudden, the Houthis, uh, the Hamas, uh, the Hezbollah, ISIS is back, uh, and Al-Qaeda yeah. is back. I mean, all of a sudden, all, all the nations in the Middle East they're spending their excess money that we gave them to hire criminals, to hire hitmen, whatever you want to call them, a foreign legion. First of all, let's make sure that we have the facts that are accurate. The one country that's leading all of this and the most prolific terrorist supporter in the world is Iran. Yes, absolutely. The Iranians. They're basically funding the Houthis. They're basically supplying and funding Hamas. They are basically funding Hezbollah. All these terrorist organizations – and then you have these other fractions pulling out. you follow me? But when the American ships and our American people are over there trying to keep peace, are being threatened and attacked, we're going to protect our people. I've had people con- complain saying it took too long as f- for us to react when the Houthis kept shooting missiles and rockets and you know playing their, their cat and mouse game and trying to shut down the, the uh, shipping lanes where most of the commerce comes through. A lot of commerce comes through that, and it would basically cause disruption. Uh, in the Red Sea and, and the Suez Canal? In the Red Sea. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I can tell you, so I would say this. The reason that it has taken longer than some of us would have liked, and we should have retaliated quicker, was building a coalition. The United States has been good about building coalition and people that are willing to fight with them for the same causes. The U.K. stepped up to the plate. Anytime you have a coalition, then it's hard to basically get more people against one country when you have four or five or more that are fighting for the same reason. My problem is I would love to see the Saudis engage, UAE, and those who live in that part of the world help us clean up their neighborhood. We have the the problem with the Red Sea and the Suez. I understand that China is controlling the problems we're having on the Panama Canal. And that's well, creating separate problems. They're, they're, they've been very aggressive. And, John, you cannot let that happen. The open lanes that we have fought for and we've identified in international trade, those have to continue. You cannot have one country trying to control that and use it as a hostage or basically shutting down commerce because they think that gives them more power. We're not going to be subjected to that, and we're not going to be submissive to that, I can assure you. What else would you like to tell the American people? Well, I, there's, you know what, we're producing more energy than we ever have in the history of our country, John. It's hard to believe because you know why? The administration doesn't talk about it because they're afraid that the hardcore environmentalists on the left side, they want to eliminate everything. And the bills that we wrote, the bills that my staff has been involved in the Energy Committee, working with my Republican friends, we've written bills that ba- give us balance. We're producing more oil and more gas than ever before, and we're doing it cleaner. We're using technology, and we're investing in more co- more clean technology for future. And so I've said we can walk and chew gum. We can provide the energy that we need today and invest in the energy that we want for tomorrow. That's what the United States is doing. Our economy and our, uh, you know, it's, it's doing better than most anywhere in the world. We have more investments coming in every state in the country uh, than anywhere else in the world because we have willing to take some of the risk away from the corporations and companies that have been willing to say we're willing to innovate, bring our technology, and develop it in America. That's where we want it to be, bringing more factory jobs back, the chips factories that are coming back. So we don't ever get to talk about some of the good stuff. The hard thing that I have with the administration is a lot of the people in this administration 
are pretty far to the left, and they're trying to implement bills they never passed. We might, we might pass a bill bipartisan with good intentions. They want to implement something further to the left. So that's why I've been encouraging the president and his entire staff come back to the middle, come back to the sensible, responsible, And you've been middle. urging the White House to come back to the middle. Absolutely. And I will uh, continue. I hope common sense prevails, and uh, let's catch up again real soon. And Senator Joe Manchin, uh, thank you for everything you do to help save America. Well, thank you, John. It's, it's great to be with you and, and be able to talk about such important issues and just have clarity to it. And that's what you've always been able to bring out, John, and call me on any issue, and I'll get the facts the best I possibly can so you can shed, uh, share them with all your listeners. But thank you, my friend. Thank you, Senator. The Cats Roundtable. With us today is Andrew Tangle, and he is the aviation reporter at the Wall Street Journal. And there's so many problems lately. Every time Boeing seems to solve a problem, another one is created. Uh, Andrew Tangle, uh, tell us what, you, what your thoughts are. I mean, uh, the, the Boeing stock is almost 270 uh, a month ago, and today it's back down to 200. Uh, what say you? As Boeing problems have emerged uh, in recent years, it generates a lot of scrutiny internally at Boeing and with the FAA and also the Pentagon, which oversees the production of uh, their military jets. And so more scrutiny finds more problems, and that you know has, over the last few years, slowed things down. It slowed down the production line as they try to fix it and improve the quality, and that slows down their deliveries to customers that desperately want the new airplanes. And if uh, customers aren't getting their airplanes, then Boeing isn't getting paid, and that hits uh, the stock price. Um, it, it's not clear yet what's going to happen in this case. Um, uh, you've got uh, what appears to be, uh, according to the FAA, a manufacturing problem that resulted not just in some imperfections, um, but in a major uh, but, you know, terrifying uh, safety issue uh, um, that could have been a lot worse. And so today is going to take uh, a hard look at what the heck happened here inside of Boeing and also their own oversight. And they uh, are promising more oversight. So I don't know what the effect is going to be on Boeing's production short or medium term, um, but the FAA administrator, uh, you know, has said that you know the overall goal is to to fix this this problem and figure out what's going on. It seems like, uh, uh, like we said, every time they solve a problem, another one turns up. Uh, is are, are are the people at Boeing, in your opinion? I mean, there was an expression when I was growing up when they built the seven hundred seven, the seven forty seven, and the seven twenty seven. They built it uh, like a, a brick crap house. If you, I don't want to use, I can't use the other word. Uh, I mean, really, versus uh, after the 727, 747, uh, the accountants uh, took over. Uh, any opinion on that? Well, Boeing has got a long tradition um, of improving aviation safety because they 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 you know over engineered the airplanes they built a lot of margin into the airplanes so the airplanes could take a lot um they 
would be totally safe, even if there were some imperfections um, or, you know, manufacturing defects. Um, what's the uh, the expression? Uh, uh, if it's, you know, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. Um, yes. Uh, and right. And you mentioned the, um, uh, you know, the 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 worries about the financialization of the company um and you know the, there's been a lot written about and a lot argued about about um whether or not the merger with mcdonald douglas and the um focus uh uh on uh financial metrics over engineering um has led to a degradation of quality and safety um, you know, there. It depends on who you talk to. Um, you know, we've we're we're seeing though. Um, you know, in, a, a lot of quality problems emerge. Um, what the sort of root management cause is, um, uh, you know, an open an open question. The I mean, after the the two maxes crashed five years ago. Um, Boeing management uh, uh, really, you know, talked a lot about improving uh, safety, but and and engineering, um, but also you know their attention to quality, and uh, they they've empowered uh, their engineers to raise issues internally, and that has slowed things down. These engineers, in, in large part. Um, also work for the FAA in many cases. Uh, it's part of the oversight structure. So um, maybe it's you know the the evolution of Boeing from you know whatever you know happened in the past, getting away from its you know core values. If that is the case, it's you know in fits and starts trying to get back to uh, its its earlier reputation. This 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 accident uh, still doesn't help, and uh, there's clearly. Uh, a problem uh, that Boeing's got to address, and what they've done, um, as the FAA administrator has said, you know, just hasn't been enough at this point. So um, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, understood. Um, should the board of directors, uh, you know, it, it was being talked about the other day, the board of directors should stand up and say enough is enough, and put some tougher management in. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen uh, with with management or the, or the board. I mean, the board oversight has been a big question um, over the last five years. We've written about how um, Boeing management, you know, uh, after the first crash and then uh, after the second crash, um, you know, um, or how excuse me, how the board, you know, it, um, allegedly according to some shareholder laws, you know, didn't question management enough and hold management accountable. And um, you know, we didn't see any major management shakeup even after the two crashes and 346 people died. Um, that was in 2019 when the second crash occurred, and uh, there was. Uh, late that year, uh, the ouster of the commercial airline, excuse me, commercial airplanes chief, uh, and then, and then at the end of the year, um, uh, they kicked out the overall CEO Dennis Vollenberg and the chairman of the board, uh, who was on the board for about a decade at the time, um, became the CEO, and he's the CEO still. Um, um, so. I don't know what kind of 
shakeup there might be. Um, there's been speculation about what could happen and, and that it might happen um, among Wall Street analysts and so forth. But um, you know, this process of sort of reckoning with what happened is just beginning. We're seeing you know signs of more activity on the Hill. You know, there could be a hearing, um, uh, and so there'll be more and more scrutiny and more and more um, calls for accountability. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. Well, Andrew Tangle, uh, please stay on top of this. Talk to you again in, in the near future because uh, people are concerned. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they want redundancies. I mean, I was a pilot. I, I had 4,000 hours when I quit, and, and you would like to know that your airplane has redundancies and, and, and that, uh, you, you know, not, one mistake is not going to end up killing you. The old expression was in aviation, three consecutive bad mistakes will kill you. And uh, that, that was a good, uh, you know, that was a good thing yeah. years ago. Well, Andrew, well, thank I, you very much, and uh, let's catch up again real soon. Absolutely, John. Thanks for having me. And as Ted Cruz yesterday said, people got an airplane, they expect the doors to stay on. So, Absolutely. Uh, thanks a lot, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. With us today is David Ola Malpass. He was president of the World Bank, and he was also uh, uh, undersecretary of the Treasury for International Affairs for the United States. Uh, David Malpass, so many things are happening in the world that there's nobody better qualified to, to give us an evaluation. Hi, John. It's good to, good to be with you. Um, yeah, it's a wild world. You know, there's uh, two uh, wars, meaningful wars, you know, with people dying with arms blowing. The Pumas are meeting in Davos in the snow. And at the same time in Iowa, they, they held a vote and it was democracy in action with people actually expressing their opinions. I think a lot of people are looking for better government and we could sure use that. Your old boss won 99 of your 100 precincts. That was pretty good. That, that was a good showing. And, it, uh, you know, there's this concentration in the Republican Party of people that really want to find a way to have faster growth, uh, to not have the tax increase that is scheduled for 2025. That's overhanging the U.S. economy. But at the same time, in Davos, they're looking for global government. And I think this is the tension in the world that the U.S. is the world leader in terms of the economy, in terms of innovation, in terms of potential, but we've got to live up to it. You know, with Davos going on and uh, uh, so many things happening in Europe, uh, I, I heard that even Jamie Dimon met with uh, the president of uh, the Ukraine. What do you think is happening? Leaders, people that are running businesses, that are running governments, have to meet. Uh, I've met frequently, uh, multiple times, with President Zelensky of Ukraine. He's stuck in a war that's a very difficult war. It's important to the to the world, and but it's it's not getting itself re resolved. I think I want to come back to this issue that there's a tension in the world between those that really are, are angling for global government. Remember, the, the international tax deal says it tries to dictate from the center of the world 
what everybody can do on their tax policy. I think one of the things the U.S. could step forward and do is say we want a 14 percent corporate minimum tax, not the 15 percent that's been required by the world to be the minimum. Who is the world to set a minimum for the corporate tax rates of countries around the world? But it's the same on bank regulation. You've got uh, central bodies trying to be global governments and telling all the banks around the world what they can and can't do in terms of their lending behavior. And so Jamie Dimon, the head of J.P. Morgan, the biggest bank in the U.S. uh, and, and giant within the world, has to really toe the line, meaning do what they're telling him as far as international regulators. They're not elected and they are not really following the goals that I think the people in Iowa showed, that they simply want a much better economy and better decision-making out of Washington. That's not what they're getting. What they're getting is huge amounts of spending that just seems endless tacked onto the national debt. What's going on in the United States? The price of oil is uh, hovering around 70 right now. The price of interest rates are rumored to come down. The markets has been doing well. It's an election year. Is there a struggle going on between the European or the, or the Asian countries, Russia, the OPEC nations, on what the real price of oil should be versus what maybe President Biden wants it at to, to get elected? Well, sure. Energy is at the core of how countries make their economies grow and allow them to grow. So all over the world, people are desperate for oil. The U.S. is fortunate because it can produce huge amounts of oil. I think it could be a lot more than what's being produced. Uh, But it goes as the core of how do you make all of the things that we use around the world. And so this comes straight to this point of where the U.S. can show more leadership. If you're Putin, you're sitting there thinking, boy, I've really made a killing out of the high oil prices that are going on. I can't believe that the U.S. is letting me do this month after month of producing and selling oil at giant prices. The U.S. says, well, we're going to prohibit countries in the world from paying Russia. Remember the sanctions idea, but it simply hasn't worked. There's all this axis of evil in the world that really wants to buy oil from Russia and don't care about the sanctions from the U.S. And so that's that's a tension going on within the world uh, that the U.S. is just not stepping up to challenge. There's a big problem going on in the world with the price of oil, like we talked about. During the speech in Iowa the other night when President Trump won, he says, I'm going to drill, baby, drill. That means if he drills as much as he is threatening to drill, it could bring down the price of oil down to 50 like it was last time. Uh, Does that hurt the OPEC nations? Does that hurt Russia? And what do they do then? You know, these political phrases are attractive, I suppose, and you simplify it down. But the reality of the world, I think, is there needs to be avenues on all forms of energy. We need to be doing more with nuclear energy. I don't know if you saw, but Japan is behind in restarting or in starting its nuclear reactors. They're they're one of the most powerful ways to make energy, and they're what's needed uh, for baseload on the grid. One of the challenges, you know, worldwide is 
what we enjoy electricity in the U.S. that's 24-7, but in a lot of the world, the electricity goes off. And then if you're rich, you buy a, you buy a generator, a diesel generator, and that's really where the world is descending. J- John, let me tell you, one of the things I'm concerned about is as the, as the fiscal deficit in the U.S. is so large year after year, even when we have supposedly an expansion going on in our economy, that takes money from the whole world. And so the consequence of that, the U.S. is always going to be the first borrower. It can get money from anywhere in the world in these unlimited, seemingly unlimited quantities. Uh, But it means that the rest of the world doesn't have the capital needed to invest in their own energy production, in fertilizer. And one of the problems in the world is farmers aren't going to get enough fertilizer outside of uh, the rich countries. And so these are this is not the way to reduce world tension. I think we really have to come back to peace through strength, and strength comes from good regulatory policy, good energy policy, good tax policy, and we're not playing in that game properly right now. The other item that's at war with, between the Americas and, and Russia and OPEC, it's this uh, reliance on electric vehicles and pushing towards these environmental projects that seem to be going broke in a lot of places. What, what say you about that? Well, the people that are in, in Davos, you know, they kind of have stopped talking as much about climate. They've stopped talking as much as about crypto, and now they're going into artificial intelligence. So it's whatever the, the topic of the moment is that gets them away from what wasn't working. And clearly what wasn't working was on climate. They never really got the idea that they needed to choose. There needed to be cost-benefit analysis in the things that they, the global government people, were dictating. And electric vehicles is a case in point. Oftentimes, within these international conferences, there was the decision that everybody in the, all the rich people in the world should mandate rules to make people do things that were really expensive so they could make a lot of money. And electric vehicles is a center part of that. There needed to be, you know, a thoughtful process of laying out what are the goals and what's a cost-benefit way of getting to those goals. And everybody in the world, I think, wants better living conditions for people around the world. That's not what's happening. Poverty is going up because so much of the capital is getting sucked into these dead-end projects. David Malpass, we're, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for coming on, and I want to continue this discussion. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this Thanks, Sunday morning. John, let's do it again. Thanks. Thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. What is today is Dr. Peter Mihalos, our in-house genius, a historian, a medical expert, and uh, Dr. Mihalos, uh, Sunday morning. What words of wisdom do you have for us today? Well, today we're going to talk about with our audience on ways to live longer. And sometimes when you think about how the human body works and how your car works, would you drive down the highway without a dashboard to know what's going on with your car? The same way now we have new modern testing. Uh, One of them is called DNA testing. And DNA basically is what the command center and the program, the software, that guides the hardware, our bodies, 
how to work, how it functions. And if we can get heads up on certain genes that we have that are not good genes, that could give us information to help us to live longer. And it all started with a fellow named Craig Venter, who basically was the first person to really sequence the entire genetic uh, genetic sequence of the human being. So basically, it gives us the roadmap of what's happening. So now, with modern genetic testing, uh, you can find out whether you have the gene for longevity. For example, there's an actual longevity gene, and it's called the CERT6 gene. And it's There's an actual, an actual longevity gene? Wow, I didn't know yes, that. There is. Well, what happens is that the, the animals that live the longest have a more efficient repair mechanism of DNA. When you go out in the sun and you get sun damage or you're exposed to certain chemicals or toxins, your body's ability to repair that is what contributes to longevity. So the animals that have more of these six longevity genes, they live longer because they can repair. When they, the body sees cancer, it knows to go and attack it and clean it up, get rid of it, and repair any damage. So knowing that you have this longevity gene or whether you don't have it, it tells you uh, you need to change your lifestyle or do certain things to optimize because our genetic our genetics are only 20% of our condition. It's like a new car. That's 20% of the life of a car. The 80% of the life of a car or human is how we take care of the car or how we take care of our body. So there is an actual longevity gene, and there is an actual gene now that you can find out the risk for Alzheimer's. There's genes we can find out the risk for uh, macular degeneration. I was... Uh, I just had a discussion with uh, Dr. Magdalena Sarcheski, an anti-aging specialist, who discovered on one of the patients that they had the gene called the factor V Leiden gene, which is the clotting gene, which increases your risk for thromboembolism and clotting. So, for example, young women who take birth control pills have a much higher risk of clotting. So if you also have that clotting gene for thromboembolism, where you get a clot in your leg and it goes up to your lung, then it actually can kill you or cause severe lung damage, just knowing that you have it genetically. I have friends who found out they have it, and now they know. They take an aspirin before they go flying. They don't cross their legs. They wear support stockings if they're going to be sitting sedentary for a long period of time. So these are things. And, and you can even find out even before you're even born. That's why sometimes parents with babies, they're concerned about family history of genetic testing. You can do genetic testing and find out about a lung disease called cystic fibrosis before it even happens, Tay-Sachs disease, now, disease that affects Yeah, the one thing I'm trying to understand is this longevity gene, which, which you have me interested in this morning. I mean, we have turtles, we have whales. There's some turtles that are living to the age of 200. Right. And they so is there a way to more. adjust this longevity screen? I wonder if I'm, I'm sure that somebody's doing a study on yeah, that. Yeah. Well, there are, and that's part of the things of some of the supplements. For example, uh, up at Harvard, David Sinclair was working on the CERT gene, and they found that if they feed certain supplements, for example, uh, called nicotinamide and MN, and, and, and basically people who take this nicotinamide mononucleotide, it feeds and accelerates and helps this sirtuin gene. They also found 
that resveratrol found in uh, red wine, but again, it's not saying for people to drink red wine, but it's one of the, it's called polyphenols. It's basically the plant component in red wine called resveratrol. They found that to be a longevity, but you can take that into a capsule. So a lot of these anti-aging doctors uh, prescribe these supplements and they do blood tests. Now you can do a genetic blood test that even tells you what your biological age is. So if you're, let's say, 60 years old, but your biological test shows you're 64, there are things that you can do. The other thing that turns on the longevity of genes is what we do every day. You and I do the intermittent fast because during that fasting period, the body says, oh, no, we're not getting any food during those 16 hours. We better do something. And your body goes into repair overdrive in anticipation that there's not going to be another meal. So and the interesting only- thing... When we talked a couple of weeks ago, the interesting thing is the body doesn't turn that on until the 14th hour. Yep, the 14th hour is like the magic number. It's the Goldilocks hour where suddenly also the T-killer cells, which are the cells that go after cancer cells that repair, and the, the, the cells that go after and start repairing all these DNA repair mechanisms, that's when it starts to really happen. And also, guess what? In our, in, in our midsection, where a lot of the visceral fat, which is what causes a lot of our health problems, we actually, it's like a refrigerator storage place. So at the 14th, 15th hour, when there's no sugar coming in, we start breaking down some of that fat and utilizing that energy that's in our midsection. And that's why we, we lose weight, and both of us have lost weight. And, you know, and basically because we're going after that refrigerator uh, stored energy. And that was an adaptive mechanism because in the old days, we would eat up in the summer, for example, when there were a lot of fruits, and we put on a little bit of belly fat, and that's what got us through the winter. But now because the food is available year-round, but in the old days when it was in the middle of freezing winter, we didn't get a good meal in the middle of January and February. So we have to understand our biology knowing this genetic testing, understanding all the risk factors for various diseases, and it basically helps guide us. For example, if you're 20 years old and you do this test and it tells you you're going to get diabetes, then guess what? You know to start watching your diet, less cake, less bread, less pizza, pasta, and you can start modifying your lifestyle, and that's why it's so, so how many how many tests, uh, we, we, we only have about a minute left, how many tests are there that you believe uh, could help uh, people determine their lifestyle to make themselves live longer? Well, there's about 100 different ones on the market, but the ones that uh, I found uh, to be very helpful and the one that uh, Dr. Magdalena Sarcheski recommends is the Intellix DNA. It basically gives you a 300-page report, and it gives you detailed analysis of all the various risk factors. And you can bring that to your doctor and say, I'm at risk for this, this, and that. Can you please go do any further testing or make recommendations and give me advice on uh, what to do and how to live longer? And that's why people listen. So you can hear all these amazing health tips and changes in medicine and science. Well, Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you so much for your update. And uh, uh, like I said, I hope we both live, and I'm going to give you your 100th birthday party because I'll be much older by then. No, God willing, in the next few years with some of this new OSK gene therapy that's coming around, it's going to be quite amazing what we can do and hopefully extend our, our quality of life. God bless. 
Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.